Okay, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you on this beautiful, let's say fall morning. It doesn't feel like fall, but school has returned, and I'm so grateful we get to gather together as the new school year starts. If you want to make your way and find a seat, we're glad we get to gather together this morning. Just several announcements for you. These are opportunities for you to connect and plug in and grow here at Gateway, so we just want to make you aware of these. First of all, our midweek at Gateway resumes this Wednesday. It takes a break during the summer, but it kicks back off this Wednesday, the 16th at 6 p.m. Now, there's something for all ages. The kids under Molly are doing the Gospel Project for Kids, which is a three-year cycle of Genesis to Revelation, where they study all of Scripture and see the redemptive thread of the whole Bible. And if your kids are in our kids' ministry for six years, they'll go through the whole Bible two times from first to sixth grade. It's a great way for them to see the redemptive message of all of Scripture. The youth are doing a study with Pastor CJ and the rest of the teachers on that volunteer team there, and they're doing the names of God and what we learn about God and His character from His name. And then for the adults, it's a little bit different this year or this, this fall, because we're all together in here for the first part of Wednesday night, so we're not having the separate men's and women's Bible studies. We're in together and we're studying the attributes of God. What do we learn about God as we study His attributes, His characteristics, and His nature? And I'm so excited about us jumping back into this. But this is not just a chance for you to come sit in here for an hour and leave. What we do is we're going to be 45 minutes in here where we talk about the attributes of God. Then we will break up into small groups in the gym building where we will have a chance to discuss together how does God's holiness change my life? How does God's jealousy change my life? How does God's grace change my life? And work through his different attributes and discuss together how those attributes impact us. And then we'll have time to pray for one another each week. So we want you to come. It's a great chance not just to learn the attributes of God, but to discuss how we live this truth out in our life and to pray for one another as we build communities. That all starts this Wednesday, 6 p.m. Now for our visitors, two things coming up you need to be aware of. First of all, next Sunday, we have what's called Discover Gateway. Discover Gateway is a chance for us to kind of give you a big picture of what Gateway is all about. We do that over lunch at my house after the worship service next Sunday. So we'd love for you to come. I need you to sign up by Thursday if you're wanting to come so that we can make sure we have enough food for you. It just lasts about two to three hours at the most. We'll eat lunch and we'll take about an hour to talk through Gateways. Kind of just the big picture of our culture and who we are as a church. Now that's followed up with something we call the Foundations Class. That's still about a month out, but September 10th, if you're interested in pursuing membership here, it's a four-week membership class that we do on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. before the worship service, so you don't have to come a second day of the week to Gateway to do this. But over the four weeks, you learn about what the gospel is and what the church is and how we relate together in the church. We believe membership is a covenant and it's so important. We want to have a chance to explore that with you and talk through these truths together. And so if you're interested in that, details are on our website, gatewaybaptist.com. Now for the ladies, two special opportunities coming up. First of all, there's women's discipleship groups that are kicking off for the fall semester. Ladies, you should have already received an email about it. If not, go to our website, gatewaybaptist.com. Sign-up deadline is the 21st, so a week from tomorrow. We need you to go ahead and let us know if you're interested, and we'll get you paired up with several other ladies for a chance to grow deeper in discipleship. And also, ladies, mark your calendars. We'll be sending you more details later this week, but October 6th to 8th. Missy Cruz, Missy's back there in the back. Missy, wave your hand back there. All the way back by the doors. Missy is putting together for you ladies a women's retreat, a time of rest and retreat up in Mentone, Alabama. It looks like an amazing weekend for you all. And so we'll be sending you details this week. But go ahead and mark your calendars October 6 to 8 for a women's retreat. Now, last thing is we are working through our teachings on prayer on Sunday mornings. If you'd like a chance to pray with other people, we'll be able to do so today here. Actually, not in the sanctuary. In room one today in the gym building. Go in the gym building. First room on the right there, past the restrooms. An afternoon prayer time for one hour at 4.30 this afternoon. Love for you to come and let's pray together for different things. And speaking of prayer, if you're wanting some ways to learn how to better pray for the church as you leave today at the back, 
there by the door and out in the lobby out here, there's a little document here called 18 Things to Pray for Your Church. If you want to breathe some fresh life in how you pray for one another and pray for Gateway, it's a great, it's an article from Jonathan Lehman, um, who works with Nine Marks Ministries, it's something they put up on the Gospel Coalition website. It's just an encouraging way to think of fresh ways to pray for one another. So as you leave today, I'd encourage you to pick up one in the very back back there, and one out in the lobby here as you leave today, to just think about ways you can pray for each other throughout this week. Well, as we prepare our hearts to worship this morning, our first song is going to be about God reigning. You know, we come in with different burdens and different trials and struggles from the last week. We want to remember and celebrate and worship God that He is sovereign and He is on His throne. And so our first song this morning is coming straight from Psalm 93. So I want to read that as our call to worship. Can I ask you to stand, please? Psalm 93, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's celebrate and worship the Lord that he is the reigning one over all things. Whoa. 
posso emacer Jesus, thank you The Father's breath completely satisfied Jesus, thank you Once you're in a me Now seated at your table Once you're in a me Now seated at your table Once you're in a me Now seated at your table Jesus,
Let's pray together. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And Lord, we have sung about your glory today and as we see your glory and we read from psalm 24 and the questions it asked who shall ascend the hill of the lord and who shall stand in your holy place and the statement he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully and god there is no one in this room and no one on this earth who can say that we have clean hands and a pure heart only one and that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ with clean hands and with a pure heart chose to die for us to give us his righteousness that we may ascend your holy hill and so we say thank you for that Lord we honor you God and we receive your grace and God that grace continues to go with us as we walk through this life You have given us your Holy Spirit to lead us to you, to sanctify us, to bring us to a greater knowledge of who you are, to lead us to submit to you. And so as we come today, as we pray, as we bring our request before you, it is an act of submission, of admitting that we do not understand, we cannot grasp, but you do. And Lord, we submit to you and we trust you with these things that we pray for. So we want to pray for our youth God, as they uh, are transitioning now into the school year, we pray that you would keep them free from anxiety and worry, that you would help them work diligently for your glory as unto you and not unto men. And Lord, we ask that they would be a light to the people that they're around in their communities and in their schools. We want to pray for our, our sister church, Thornton Road Baptist and Pastor Mike Troll over there. We pray, God, that your glory would be there this morning, that people would hear the gospel, that they would respond in submission to you. And as we pray for that here in Montgomery, we also want to pray for it around the world. And we pray specifically for Luke and Leslie Montgomery, who's a missionary family in Durban, South Africa, as they are ministering to university students there. We pray for open doors and open hearts for the gospel to continue its progress across the world. And Lord, we pray that our hearts would be submissive to you in our possessions and the things you've called us to be stewards over. And so as you have called us to give back to your work and to honor you with our tithes and our offerings, Lord, we ask that you would give us cheerful hearts as we give those over to you for your work and for your glory. And finally, for our brother Grady, Lord, as he preaches to us this morning, God, we pray that you would speak through him. Thank you for the work that you've done this week to prepare him for this Sunday. And thank you for the role of preaching that you've given preaching. 
God, that we can hear your word and respond to you. So, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, and that we may receive. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in first to fourth graders who'd like to go to kids' worship. You may head that way through those double doors. So that's for those who've just entered first to fourth grades. So that means we have some new fifth graders who have been in kids' worship for years. Welcome to the rest of the service today. We're glad to have you in with your families this morning. We got a fun group this morning. You got it, Rick. <laughs> Why don't you find Acts chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word. Acts chapter 2. Friends, we've been on a six-week journey on the topic of prayer and prayer in the life of the church. And our reason for doing this and our prayer in doing this is the Holy Spirit would use God's Word as we study it together for these six weeks to stir our affections to where we long to pray more individually and with our families and, yes, corporately together. And so today as we come to the end of this study, I'm going to wrap it up by asking us a question as we begin this morning. And the question for today is simply this, friends. What are you most devoted to? What are you most devoted to? What am I most devoted to? Now, you can think about this generally in life, not just in the life of the church. And perhaps it could be said of us, we're devoted to our families. We're devoted to our jobs. Or maybe we're devoted to our hobbies or entertainment or our sports. There's many things we could be devoted to. If you look at your calendar and your finances and what you think about and dwell on the most, what would you in life be most devoted to? Let's narrow that focus this morning a little bit. When it comes to your faith, what are you most devoted to in the expression of your faith? What do you most pursue when it comes to things of your faith? Now, depending on your personalities or your passions or your spiritual gifts, we kind of tend to be devoted to certain aspects of our faith over others. So some of you would say, I'm devoted to studying the Scriptures. I really want to know the Scriptures so I can know it rightly and teach it rightly. Some of you might say, I'm really devoted to fellowship. I love to bring people together in community and build relationships. Some of you would say, I'm really devoted to meeting needs behind the scenes. I love quietly serving others in the body. Some of you would say, I'm devoted to spreading the gospel. My passion is for the gospel to go to the lost in Montgomery and globally. And some of you would say, I'm devoted to prayer, prayer together with other believers. For you, friends, what are you most devoted to when it comes to your faith? As we come to Acts chapter 2 this morning, we get a glimpse of what the early church was devoted to. It's a beautiful picture for us, but friends, it's also a great challenge for us as well. So this morning we wrap up our six weeks on prayer by looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And as we look at this one verse this morning, I want you to ask yourself, what is the church most devoted to? Look at what the early church is most devoted to and ask yourself the question, am I devoted to these things? So Acts chapter 2, verse 42, one verse this morning can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that's already been read this morning from the Psalms and now from Acts 2. We thank you that we've been able to sing of your greatness this morning and to already spend some time praying together. We're grateful for your grace that gives us these opportunities. So, Lord, as we come to study this verse this morning, I pray you would give me and give all of us, Lord, teachable hearts, that your word would convict us where we need convicting, would encourage us where we need encouraging, and you would use your word this morning as your Holy Spirit applies it to each one of our situations, each of our lives, to make us more like Christ, to make us more of who you desire for us to be individually and collectively. And we ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Now, before we jump into Acts 2.42, I want you to understand the context of what's happened in these two chapters before what we're reading this morning. Jesus has ascended back to heaven. His followers had returned to Jerusalem where they're waiting in. Yes, they're praying. Pentecost comes and the Spirit of God fills them. They begin to speak in tongues. A crowd gathers, confused about what's going on. They do not understand. So Peter preaches and explains to the multitudes who Jesus is and what is going on. He calls the people to repent and believe. And what happens, go back one verse before what we just read this morning. In the previous verse, Acts 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So in the verse before what we just looked at, we see the church being born. You see the church going from 150 to 3,000 right here. You see the explosive growth of it. And then the very next verse, verse 42, what we just read, tells us the life of these believers together. The mature believers who've been around a little while and the brand new 3,000 have just come in together. What was their life together like? Go back to verse 42. And they, the 3,000 plus the disciples, plus those who are already following Jesus, they all together devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, the key word of this verse for us is that word devoted. They devoted themselves. Now, what does it mean to be devoted to something? Now, I looked it up and I read different people's take on it. The best definition I found of being devoted is to have a steadfast and single-minded focus. If you're devoted, you have a steadfast and a single-minded focus. If you're devoted about something, you're not half-hearted about it. You're not indifferent about it. It's something that you pursue with all of your energy and with all of your focus. Now, I want you to realize before we see these things they were devoted to, for these early believers, devotion was not something they did begrudgingly. Devotion was something they were actually excited about here. They didn't do these things out of guilt. They didn't do these things out of some type of obligation or because someone twisted their arm. They pursued devotion with joy. Now, how do we know that? Well, we go ahead a few verses. Look down in verses 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Some of these things we've just seen back in verse 42. They received their food notices with glad and with generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Notice those phrases there. They had glad hearts. They had generous hearts. They were praising God. So they weren't just devoted, friends. They were joyfully devoted. They were joyfully devoted to these things. And what were they joyfully devoted to? That's back in verse 42. They were, they were joyfully devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now, before we dig into those four things, I want you to realize this joyful devotion was the very life of the church. These were the priorities that united them together. Though they had come from different backgrounds, these are the four things that were the glue that held them together. These are the priorities that would sustain them in the face of great suffering and persecution far beyond anything we have ever experienced. These are the priorities that enabled them to press on together with joy and leaving everything behind and stepping in a new way of life when their families and the world around them did not understand and oppress them for it. These are the things where the glue that held them together in the midst of great difficulties. And friends, as I was reflecting on that this week, I couldn't help but ask the question, is this the glue that holds us together? Or is there something else that we're looking to to try to keep us together? So what were these priorities, this glue that held the church together in great difficulties? There's four things here for them. Number one, their first priority was to know God's truth. The first thing they were devoted to was to know God's truth. You see this back in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, these 3,000 new Christians are gathered together, and so the apostles taught them who God is, who Jesus is, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what grace looks like, how to live for the glory of God, what the church is to be like, the mission to make Christ known to others, and so 
much more. That's the very things we see recorded in the Gospels, is the things we see recorded in Acts, is the things we see recorded in the letters. We see the apostolic teaching. And friends, in the kindness of God to us, that wasn't lost, but God preserved it for us. It was written down for us, and it's what we know of as Scripture or the Bible. Our family started going through the Gospel of Luke at night together, and I was just struck thinking about the apostolic teaching being recorded for us, and even how Luke describes it in the beginning of his Gospel. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Luke begins his Gospel by saying, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us..." Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So you have eyewitnesses, the ministers, the apostles, the disciples, all recording this for us. Luke says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And why were these written down for us? Verse 4, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And the grace of God to us from the apostolic teaching was not lost. But it's recorded for us, and we have it printed right before our eyes and in our apps on our phones where we can read God's revelation to us at any time and study it for ourselves. And this truth that was given to them that they heard verbally through the apostles that we now have in writing will forever change us. I think about what we saw when we studied 1 Peter this past year. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, we're told like newborn infants to long for the pure spiritual milk. We said that we studied that's the word of God. So that by it you may grow up into salvation. And indeed, you've tasted that the Lord is good. God has given his word to be like food to us that grows us and matures us and nurtures us. And so for the early church, they knew that, verse 42. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They knew it was good for them. They knew it was God's truth, so they longed to study it together. So what is God's will for us? God's will for us is that we would study the scriptures individually and as families and together corporately so it grows us up into maturity. Friends, but knowing God's truth led them to other commitments as well. They didn't just study the Bible and then go on their own way. As they studied the word, as they studied the apostolic teaching, it changed them. So there's a second commitment they had. Look at verse 42. They voted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, this is not what we think it is when we hear this word. This, this actually, when, when, when um, this is recorded for us by Luke here, the word fellowship has a very different meaning than what we typically think about. This has nothing to do with casseroles games and gingerbread house building, though I really like all those tight fellowship events that we do here. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says they were devoted to fellowship, he means they were devoted to serving one another. So their second priority after being devoted to the, knowing the Word of God was to serve one another. Now, how do we know that's what this means here? Because when we hear they're devoted to fellowship, I'm thinking, man, they had some great meals together, didn't they? What they were talking about here, as you look at this word, this word is the word koinonia. And the word koinonia means to share each other's experiences and to share in each other's needs. Koinonia is to share the, in the experiences of one another and to share in each other's needs. In other words, their people are so connected in koinonia fellowship that everyone belongs and no one has any needs because you're meeting each other's needs. So if you look down, for example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, we're going to see the same word again, but translated differently. In Acts 2, 44, and all who believed were together, and they had all things, now it says in, in the ESV here, in common, the word here is they had all things in koina, the same root word that we get the word fellowship from. They had all things in fellowship. They were connected in community to where they shared things, and they were so connected in community of fellowship that verse 45 they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all 
as any had need. So it says the early church was devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to making sure everyone belonged and everyone's needs were met. That meant they would even sell their own things to provide for other brothers and sisters in the body who had needs. Now you see this word koinonia, fellowship, used the same way later in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in Paul's writings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now what happened here? Macedonia was in a severe test of affliction. This was a poor church. They were not a wealthy church. But their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, so they weren't just poor, they were extremely poor, but has overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. So these very poor Christians in Macedonia gave an offering, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. This is joyful devotion. No one forced them to do it. And what happened? Begging us earnestly for the favor of fellowship and the relief of the saints. Again, our English says taking part. It literally in the Greek says koinonia. They were begging for the opportunity to fellowship and taking an offering to give to other believers who had needs. So a very poor church fellowshiped with other believers by taking an offering to meet the needs of other Christians who were struggling. That's the exact same word we have. Go back to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the koinonia, the sharing of life and the meeting of needs. In the early church, their priority was making sure everyone belonged and everyone's needs were met. Now, thinking about that this week, one of the authors I read said something that was really striking to me. His name is Kent Hughes. He said this. He said, fellowship costs something in the early church. In contrast to our use of the word today, fellowship is not just a sentimental feeling of oneness. It is not punching cookies. I guess we should say here it's not sweet tea, right? It does not take place simply because we're in the church building. Fellowship comes through giving. Don't miss that. Fellowship comes through giving. True fellowship costs. Then he goes on, and I found this so convicting, a lot of things I hear just out in the community. He says, so many people never know the joy of Christian fellowship because they've never learned to give themselves away. So many never know the joy of Christian fellowship because they've never learned to give themselves away. They visit a church or a small group study with an eye only for their own needs, hardly aware of others, and they go away saying, there's no fellowship here. There's no community here. The truth is we will have fellowship only when we make it a practice to reach out to others and give something of ourselves. So what was the early church committed to, devoted to? Knowing God's truth and serving one another. But there was a third commitment they had, and look in verse 42 here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and number three, to the breaking of bread. This is referring to the Lord's Supper. This means they were committed to worshiping together with other believers. The Lord's Supper, communion, was integral and a regular part of their worship. Just what we're going to do at the end of the service today. They were committed to regularly being together, not just to hear the word of God explained, not just to connecting with each other, but to remember collectively Jesus' sacrifice, to do what Jesus instructed us to do. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 25. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, to the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance. Do this, you all, plural, in remembrance of me. Then verse 25, in the same way, I also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it. You collectively together do this in remembrance of me. And so the early church in verse 42 was committed to that. They were devoted to knowing the truth of God. They were devoted to knowing each other and making sure needs were met. They were devoted to regularly participating in corporate worship, including the Lord's Supper. 
But there was one more thing we're told they were devoted to, and it's what we've been studying about the last six weeks, and that was to pray together. They were devoted to, they were focused single-mindedly on making sure they were praying together. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, the prayers would include formal prayers in the temple when they would go for temple worship. This would include the more formal prayers that happen when they would do the Lord's Supper together in homes. And this would include the informal prayers, those spontaneous prayers as they just shared life together along the way. Now, what would the early church pray for one another? What were the type things they would pray about? Well, it's what we saw last week, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. What would they pray about? They'd pray things like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They would pray things like, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. They would pray things like, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So in other words, they're praying about God's purposes. They're praying about the gospel going forth to their lost friends and family. They're coming together to the church praying by name for the lost they know and for other people. They were praying for those physical needs they had within the body. And of course, then being willing for God to say, you go help with that need. They were praying for their own forgiveness of sins and brokenness over sin in the body. They were praying for freedom from sin's power, transformation from God's grace. And how do we know they were praying those things? Go back to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They listened to what the Word of God was, and the Word of God tells us, like there in Matthew 6, how to pray. And so they learned the truth of God, and they obeyed it. They did what James says in James 1.22. They were doers of the Word and not hearers only. They learned the truth from the apostles, just as we now learn the truth from the written Scriptures, and they devoted themselves to living it out, including how they prayed for one another. So they were devoted to knowing God's truth, to serving each other, to worshiping together, and to praying together. I want you to notice something here. It says they were devoted to all four of these things. This was not, I'm devoted to studying Scripture, and if I have a little bit of a slower week at work, I might try to spend some time in community with other Christians, and if I'm really bored, I might do some prayers with other people too. This wasn't that. It wasn't they were picking and choosing, I'm devoted to this and not others. This was not, hey, I'm the behind-the-scenes guy in the church. I'm going to leave the group praying to other people. Or, hey, I'm a corporate worship type person. I'm just going to do the Lord's Supper, but I don't need all this Bible study This was collectively the commitment of all the church, young and old, new believer and mature believer, together committed, regardless of their gifts, regardless of their passions, their interests, were committed together to knowing the truth of God, committed together to serving one another, committed together to worshiping together, committed together to praying together. Why were all four their priorities? Because all four are necessary for the church to be the church. And all four are necessary for us to grow together as God wills. Because it was true then and it's true today. We desperately need the scriptures and we need to study them together so we know the will of God. We desperately need to serve one another so that we all belong and have our needs met. We desperately need to be participating in corporate worship to be encouraged in the Lord and pursuing Him. And we desperately need to be praying, not just alone, but together as we pray with and for one another. They were committed to all four. But can I suggest something this morning that of these four commitments... Prayer is not just one more tacked on to the end. It is what actually undergirds all these commitments that they were devoted to. It's what undergirds everything else we've seen. How so? Because everything else we were just looking at, knowing the Word of God, serving one another, worshiping together, all those are things that need to be done in dependence on God. And prayer is the one that shows us if we're depending on God or not. It's been so convicting in my heart this week as we think about that. Are we really dependent upon God as we pursue these things as a church. Now, when we began this study on prayer, we gave you a definition of prayer. 
That's a good definition. But I want to give you a second definition of prayer as we wrap up the study this morning. The definition of prayer you first had was, was the truth of what prayer is. This definition gives to the heart of prayer, why we pray or do not pray. This comes from a guy named Randy Sprinkle. He's retired now, but he spent nine years as the prayer coordinator for the International Mission Board. Talk about a task, trying to make sure the churches are mobilized to pray for 5,000 missionaries around the world in unreached people groups. He was tasked with that, and he said something years ago that just wrecked me, and it still does. Here's Randy Sprinkle's take on what prayer is. He said, prayer is an unspoken confession of our utter dependence upon God. Prayerlessness is an unbroken testimony of our utter dependence upon our own flesh. If you hear what he's saying, if we're praying, we're confessing. That we're not saying, God, I need you. When we pray about any of these things we looked at last week or this week, we're saying, God, I'm in dependence on you. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the strength. I don't have the answers. Lord, you do. I'm depending on you. But if we are not praying about things, we're basically saying, I'm depending on myself. I've got this figured out. Prayer is an unspoken confession of our utter dependence upon God. Prayerlessness is an unbroken testimony of our dependence upon the flesh. As I've been thinking on that and pondering that in light of Acts 2.42, the reality check for me this week, and perhaps for you too, we can study the Bible to know the apostolic teaching. We can even teach it, but we can do so relying on our own intellect and our own strength and our own communication ability and never pray and never seek God's help or depend on Him. The reality check for us is we can serve other people, and we can do so based on our bank balance spreadsheets and our relational ability on what our interests are in doing things. And we can serve others having never prayed and never sought God's help or dependence on Him. And likewise, when it comes to worshiping together, we can corporately worship week by week and do so out of habits and do so based on our own routines. We can do so because it makes us feel a certain way and never pray and never seek God's help or depend on Him. Friends, if we are doing studying the Word of God, if we are doing service to other people, if we're doing corporate worship and we're doing those without prayer, individually and collectively, can I suggest we're probably doing them in our own strength? And the warning for us in light of what we see in Sprinkle's quote is what Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 5. These are sobering words for us. He says, I'm divine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing, friends. We can say that, we can affirm that theologically. I fear in my own heart and often in a lot of our lives we don't really live like we believe that. That apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Friends, so how do we really understand the scriptures, the apostolic teaching? Not just by using our intellect to figure it out, but by praying and asking God to open our eyes to the truth of his word. By studying it in prayerful dependence, saying, Lord, unless you help me understand this, I will not know the truth. Lord, help me to apply this truth to my life. So we study scripture in dependence, which is seen in how we pray as we study scripture. How do we best serve one another? Not just by going and doing what we want to do. We best serve each other with much prayer for discernment to know each other's needs. For much wisdom to know how to meet those needs. For much love in our hearts to actually serve one another. So we best serve if we are praying for each other before we actually serve one another. How do we best worship together? Not if we come in here distracted, but we best worship together if we have been praying for the service and praying for our own hearts and praying individually and collectively that God would change us as we meet together with Him. And so depending on God and all these things mean we foundationally, we pray. So prayer is not just one thing tacked on in, but the prayer undergirds how we study Scripture. The prayer undergirds how we serve. The prayer undergirds how we worship, which is exactly what we see the early church doing. All throughout Acts, we see them getting together. What are they doing? They're praying together. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. I referenced this one earlier, but in Acts 1, 14, with all these were with one accord, they were devoting to themselves to 
prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The church was, before he was even born here, the believers were praying together. Acts chapter 12, Peter's been in prison. He gets released, and when he gets to where the believers are gathered, he came to himself. He said, now, I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. In verse 12, he goes on. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together, and they were praying once again. So all throughout Acts, you see the believers together praying and undergirded everything else they did. This is what we see Paul constantly writing about doing as he writes to the churches. He was praying for them. Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you in my prayers. Verse 10 there, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my Prayers. He tells the people at Thessalonica this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. You see this when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, because I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. He doesn't just say, I'm praying for you. He invites them to pray for him as well. He needs prayer even as he prays for others. So Romans chapter 15 Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Or Ephesians chapter 6, in the text on spiritual warfare, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that and keep alert with all persons, making supplication, making prayers, asking for all the saints. Verse 19, and also pray for me. The words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So all throughout the New Testament, we see the early church was devoted to prayer and praying together. Paul was devoted to praying together. The question is, are we? Friends, the early church knew they were dependent upon God, so they prayed. Paul knew he was dependent on the Lord, and so he prayed. And so the question for me in my own heart this week and for you as well do we really understand, apart from God, we can do nothing? Do we really understand how dependent we are on God that it leads us to pray? There's a book that I've been looking at recently called A Praying Church, and the author Paul Miller says this, and I find this convicting. He says, I slow down to pray with other believers because life is coming at me so fast. Instinctively, I respond to life's speed with my own speed. And friends, I can resonate with that. I don't know if that's you too. But life gets so busy. So what's the first thing easy to drop? Let's drop prayer. Let's drop individual prayer, family prayer, corporate prayer. But Paul Miller says that life is coming so fast. And instinctively, we tend, to, we tend to go at our own speed. He says, this creates a 10-car pileup, not only in my life, but in my soul. He said, I cannot imagine leading my family or community without corporate prayer. I do these prayer times not from discipline, but from desperation. It just struck me. I do these prayer times not from discipline but from desperation. I'm in constant prayer because the communities I'm in are in constant need. I have no interest in doing anything that has not been prayed for and prayed over. Prayer together is not a luxury. Or is it something just for spiritual Christians? It's the very breath of the church. Paul understood he was desperate and needed God. The early church knew they were desperate and needed God. And so they prayed. And that's the very thing I believe that Acts 2 is showing us. Go back to verse 42. And they devoted themselves the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So let's bring all that together. Here's the challenge from this text, the main idea from this text I want you to think about, and it's simply this, friends. God's plan for the church is for us together to be so committed to praying together in dependence on God 
as we study the scripture, as we serve, and as we worship together. God's will for the early church, God's will for Gateway, is for us to be committed, devoted to praying together in dependence on God. It starts there that we understand we are needy, we understand apart from him we can do nothing, so we pray, and that prayer undergirds how we study the scripture, that prayer undergirds how we worship, that prayer undergirds how we serve one another. God's plan for Gateway is for us to pray and to pray together. And so as we study scripture, we do so with dependent prayer. As we serve each other, we do so with desperate prayer. As we worship, we do so with longing prayers, trusting God to challenge us and to grow us in these things. That leads to one last question for us this morning. How will we as a church grow in praying together? How do we take the next step in praying together to live out Acts 2.42 here at Gateway? Well, no, friends, I'm not going to give you a new program to sign up for. No, I'm not going to give you a new Bible study to attend. I'm not even going to add a new prayer meeting to our schedule. Here's the next step I think we as a church take in light of the truth we've been seeing in these six weeks of prayer. Two things I want to ask you to do. Number one, would you pray that God would grow us in prayer? Friends, it's so easy for us to want to come up with a new program to grow the church in prayer, for us to come up with a new Bible study on prayer to help us. But friends, unless God changes my heart and your heart, we're not going to want to pray more. This is a heart work that leads to outward action. So would you pray that God would grow us into being a greater praying church? Because we need that. If we want the Word of God to change our lives, we need to be praying about it. If we want to better serve each other and be connected, we need to be praying about that. If we want to have vibrant worship services, we need to be praying about everything we want the church to be God has to do it, and so we need to pray. So would you pray that God would grow us in praying together? And then number two, would you make it a priority that when you're with one another, you'll pray for one another? Would you just make it a priority when you're sharing life together that you would pray for one another? So if you're having a meal at Chick-fil-A or Chappies with someone from the church body, it's easy to talk about the weather and sports and whatever else is fall, but would you take time when you're together to move the conversation to, hey, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you and then pray with them right there in the restaurant. Would you in your small groups not just talk about the sermon or talk about your Bible study, but set aside time to pray for one another while you're together. There's so many places you connect and interact with each other. Whether you're serving together in some way, take time as you serve with them. Whether you're back in the baby room changing diapers, pray for the people you're working alongside. Look for ways to intentionally pray when you get together. Gateway is no place where there's a shortage of things to do here. There's more to do here than you can do in a week and have any capacity for your own life and your walk with God and your knowing your neighbors and, and being with your family. There's a lot of activity here. So we don't need to add more activity to the schedule. We don't need a prayer program here. We need to seize those times we already have to start praying together. So would you this week begin to pray God would grow us as a church to pray more together and intentionally look for those opportunities in your small groups as you're serving with other people on your serving teams and we're just meeting together in the community to let's start praying together. Friends, I believe God wants to grow me, wants to grow you, wants to grow us as a church into being more dependent on Him and to pray more because we're dependent upon Him and undergirding everything Gateway does with prayer because we know it's all His work. So before we move on, would you pause for just a minute where you're seated, like we did last week, and would you pray for yourself and for us as a church that God would grow us in our prayers? Would you do that for just a moment before we continue? And now we take just a minute where you're seated and ask the Lord to help you be intentional to pray with other believers whenever your paths cross.
Father, you have heard the prayers of your people. Our prayers to ask us to help us to pray. I think about what we saw last week when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, we confess that we don't pray like we should. Lord, you desire for us to pray more individually and collectively by ourselves, with our families, with our friends, and collectively as a church. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word, that you'd remind us these truths, you'd remind us of what the early church did, but you'd remind us even more of your invitation to us to approach your throne of grace with confidence. And Lord, I pray that we'd be doing that individually and collectively. Would you grow us as a church in wanting to talk to you? Lord, we confess there's so much that we have done that we do in our own strength. Lord, just relying on our own flesh, our own intellect, our own relational abilities, our own gifts or skill sets. But Lord, we need you. And so Lord, I pray it wouldn't just be words that we say when we say, Lord, you tell us apart from you, we can do nothing. There'd be truth that would really resonate in our hearts. And that embrace that truth would be reflected in how we pray individually and collectively. So we ask that you grow us in that. I know I'm not where I need to be. I know we as a church are not where we need to be. So Lord, in dependence upon you, we ask you, grow us in our prayers, Lord. Grow us in our delight in you. Grow us in our abiding in you. And I pray that we will see you move in great ways, even this week as we pray, that we'll strengthen our faith and build up our faith. We ask that you do it so that we find the joy and you receive the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and uh, the prayers. These are things they did together. And so it's very fitting as we wrap up the study on prayers, we wrap up our service today, that we celebrate communion together. This is something that Jesus has called us to do collectively where we remember his sacrifice, where we worship him together with grateful hearts, and where we examine our own hearts to seek his grace to grow. So today we're going to end with what we saw in Acts 2. We're end with the breaking of bread, this beautiful act of worship, the symbol Jesus gave us to remind us of the cost of our redemption and the grace that we have. Friends, as we celebrate this, as we break the bread, remember that Jesus' body was broken. They hung on the cross, not just so that our sins could be paid for, but so his perfect righteousness could be given to us. As Jeff prayed earlier, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. I have no hope to get the hill of the Lord on my own, and you don't either. But Jesus can. And so when he died on the cross and his body was broken, our sin was put on him. It was paid in full at that moment, so we never have to experience his wrath. But his righteousness was given to us. So when we ascend the hill of the Lord, we don't fear being struck down because the Father sees Jesus' righteousness covering us. As we drink the juice in just a moment, it reminds us that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The scripture is very clear. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So we eat the bread, we drink the juice to remind us of the incredible sacrifice, the incredible cost for our redemption. As such, friends, this is only for those who know Christ. If you know the grace of God, that you believe in him, not that you prayed a prayer and you think you're okay, but if you have actually trusted in him and him alone for salvation, and you know that his grace has changed you, not just because you have assurance of salvation, but because you see him pursuing you, you see him disciplining you when you sin, you see him growing you with his transforming grace. If you know you belong to God, you are welcome. It does not matter if you're a member of Gateway or not. You are welcome if you know Christ to come and celebrate. If you're not sure about that, we'd ask you just to remain seated where you are. No one's going to come seek you out or embarrass you. But just use this time and pray, Lord, I don't feel like I can take this. I'm not sure I really believe. Help my unbelief and just pray and talk to the Lord about it. But if you know Christ, you are welcome to come celebrate and reflect on his grace to you in your life. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And after I do, our ushers will help direct you. The praise team will come first, but then our ushers will direct you. You'll make two lines down the middle of the aisle to help us all get through. You'll come to the front, you'll receive the bread, get the juice, and then return to your seat. We do this so that you have time, one, to reflect on these things. We don't want you to rush taking this. This is a serious moment of you to ask the Lord to examine your heart. It's a serious time for you to praise God for His grace and to reflect on as you look at the elements. 
So we want you to have time to reflect on it. But we also celebrate it this way because this is a community event. The early church is devoted to the breaking of bread. They did it collectively together. But having you come forward to receive it, it reminds us of the beauty of the church together, worshiping the Lord for his grace. So let me pray for us, and then we'll come receive the elements. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We've sung that earlier, and we say it again. And Lord, I know, thank you. Sometimes those words seem so trite. But Lord, we don't know what else to say. We realize that we deserve nothing but condemnation, nothing but your wrath. And instead of giving us wrath, Lord, you've given us grace. And not just a little grace, you've given us grace upon grace upon grace. And so we thank you for the salvation we have in Christ. We are so thankful that we stand forgiven. We're so thankful we can ascend your hill, not because of anything in us, but because Christ has covered us with his righteousness. So this morning as we break the bread together, as we remember Christ's body was broken and his blood was poured out, I pray you would give us, like we saw in Acts 2, glad and generous hearts. You would give us cheerful hearts that praise you as we rejoice that you have pursued the wretched sinners like us and you have made us your own, that we now have a seat at your table instead of being your enemy. So we pray you'll use this time as we worship you together through the breaking of bread here in the Lord's Supper to grow our hearts in thankfulness, to grow our hearts in awe and wonder at who you are and to transform us to be more like you. And Lord, we do pray if there's anyone here who does not know you, whether it's a child or an adult, and God, that they would, that in this moment you'd be drawing them to yourself, that they would realize that they do not know you and they realize that your grace is being extended to them and they would repent and believe this morning while there's still an opportunity. So Lord, have your way in our midst. Transform us change us, grow us to be closer to you, even as we celebrate this together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
If y'all would stand as we get ready to sing this last song.
pray that what we've just sung would be our prayer all throughout this week, that we would desire to follow in the steps of Christ. Lord, we confess we are so helpless. We are so needy. We need your strength and your grace to be able to follow in Christ's steps this week. So would you give that to us, Lord? Would you give us hearts that long to follow you, hearts that long to know you more? And would you give us your strength to follow you this week, whatever we are faced with? Lord, I do pray that we would live this week as pilgrims, as strangers and aliens, knowing that this is not our home. Lord, you know there's so much that captures our affections and our attentions here. We want to put down anchors here and act like this is forever, but it's not. Let us live as your people this week, longing for eternity and with eternity in view. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great week ahead.